Hello, City Light Church. I want to wish you a happy Easter. My name is Pastor Dennis King. I'm the lead pastor here at City Light Church. And I, before I start, I want to read some scripture with you. This is a text that we're reading from Matthew. Matthew's a eyewitness of the life and ministry of Jesus. He was a disciple of Jesus. And this is his final chapter in his account of Jesus. It's Matthew 28, we're going to read the first 10 verses. And then we'll read the last few verses, starting with verse 16. This is Matthew 28. This is the reading of God's Word. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, it was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled came like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen. And he said, Come see the place where he lay. They go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear, great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. This is God's word. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning. It's an unconventional Easter morning, but it's a morning where you are present with us. So I pray that you'd speak to us now, speak to us through your servant, speak in a, a powerful word for where we are at this morning. Pray it would change our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us here for our Easter service here at City Light Church. And honestly, it's not the way we had planned Easter service was going to be this year. We're planning, uh, me and the staff, we're planning this year something big. We're going to have a block party outside. We're going to have a DJ. We're going to have tacos. We're going to have a bouncy house for the kids. We're going to invite the neighborhood. But our plans changed radically when things were shut down, when the pandemic hit. It's been a difficult season, you know, for our country, for our city, especially for us here at City Light. Uh, most of you heard the devastating news that we lost one of our dearest brothers, Gerald, to the virus this last week. And it tore us up, you know, and I won't lie. There was so many tears shed for our brother. I know some of you all know, knew him so well. And honestly, when I heard the news, I felt like, man, I just kind of want to just cancel our celebration of Easter. feel like it wasn't fitting. But then as I... Throughout the week, as I kind of prayed and thought about the message of Easter, I realized that this is ultimately what Easter is about. 
Easter is not a idea. The idea of Easter is that it's born out of grief, out of pain and death. Easter comes out of a place of sadness that is broken into by Jesus to bring joy. The idea of Easter is out of death comes life. And we need this message, the message of Easter, more than ever. More than ever, I need this news in my life. I love this quote by Chuck Palahniuk in his book, Fight Club. He says, only after disaster can we be resurrected. He says, resurrection doesn't happen after an already good time, but resurrection happens after disaster, after failure, after death. No matter how dark this time is, it's no match for the resurrection. The good news of the resurrection is the power of God. And I, I pray it would give you hope with all God's people this morning. This morning I want to talk about hope in midst of darkness. I want to share the good news that the Christian hope is based on this idea that heaven is breaking into this earth and it's already happening. And it's also future. It's our hope. Today I want to look at this idea of hope in three ways. I want to look at the audacity of hope, the reason for hope, and living out of hope. I want to start with this whole idea of the audacity of hope. If you just joined us, we've been going through a series of sermons on Jesus and his disciples. Jesus, before he started his ministry, picked 12 disciples. They were ragtag. They were not qualified. Some of them were immoral. And they were a ragtag group, but Jesus discipled them. He spent time with them. He did ministry with them. They saw heaven breaking into earth in radical ways. But he warns them all along the way, hey, it's going to be difficult. And he tells them to take up the cross. And he also tells them he's going to die. Uh, but we see that as the disciples get closer to the cross, their faith begins to fail them. In fact, when Jesus eventually gets to the cross, all of his disciples abandon him. Their faith fails him. In chapter 27, Jesus goes through a sham trial. He's mocked. He's beaten. He's crucified between two thieves. All seems lost. But in the midst of the sadness we read this morning, there's still some hope. There's a couple people, a few people, still holding on to Jesus, even in his death. In verse 757, there's a wealthy man. His name is Joseph of Arimathea. And not only is wealthy, he has connections. He makes a claim on Jesus' body. Often after people were crucified, the bodies were just left there to decompose. Animals would eat them. But Joseph of Arimathea won't let that happen to Jesus' body. He claims Jesus' body. He buries him, covers him in linen cloth gives him a burial, puts him in a tomb. This is a tomb probably reserved for very wealthy families. He places Jesus in the tomb. A great rock is rolled over it. We read later that there are Roman guards keeping watch in case Jesus' disciples try to steal the body. And this is what we read in verse 61. There's another person still not given up. It says in verse 61, Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. 
Earlier we read that there are two Marys at the cross. Mary Magdalene and this other Mary who is the mother of John. And we see that these two women are here at the cross. And Mary Magdalene specifically is mentioned in all of the gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection. She's a key person. Who is she? Well, Mark tells us that Mary Magdalene was someone who had seven demons in her life. Seven is a number of completion. This was a woman whose life was out of control. She had no control over her life. It was, it was out of control. And Jesus cast out those demons in her life. Jesus gives Mary her life back. Often in the gospel accounts of Jesus healing people, after they heal, he healed them. Often they would just be joyful and just go on their way, living their best life. But not this Mary. Mary Magdalene, after she's healed, she, she decides she's going to be a follower of Jesus. And all throughout Jesus' journey, Mary Magdalene supports Jesus, prays for Jesus, cares for him. Mary loved Jesus with her whole being, with all of her heart. Though everyone gives up on Jesus, all of his disciples fail, Jesus, not Mary. Mary, even after Jesus' death, is at the tomb waiting. Mary can't quit Jesus. Mary can't let Jesus go. Jesus meant too much for Mary. Mary has seen also too much of Jesus to know this is the end for him. She doesn't know how or why, but she can't quit Jesus. Mary has the audacity in the face of his death and burial to hope in Jesus. You know, we, we live in a time where it seems... Uh, like all is lost. There's a lot of devastation around us. This week we grieve so much with the death of one of our friends. And right now things are dark. People are losing their jobs. People are getting sick. There's death around us. People are, are pessimistic about the future. Are we going to recover as a country? Am I going to make it? I'm losing my savings. And it seems crazy like, a, like right now, to have hope in God. And Mary teaches us to keep holding on in the midst of that darkness. She's a model of faithfulness. You know, as a minister, I've had to, to be at a lot of funerals. And whenever I see the casket going down into the ground and the dirt being all placed on top of it, there's a sense of finality to that. That nothing and nobody is coming back from that. There's nothing more final than death. But think about this. If Jesus resurrected from the grave, if Jesus came back from that ultimate end, if he did that, he did the impossible. If Jesus rose from the grave, it gives us permission to hope even in impossible circumstances. If God can do that, He can do anything. And like Mary, we too can have audacious hope in the midst of the darkness. At a funeral, there's always a sense. I've been at a funeral of people I've loved. And even if you're not a believer, at every funeral of someone you love, there's always a sense in which you feel like, man, this cannot be the end. This cannot be the final chapter of this person's life. 
it can't go down like this. There is a longing for something more. There is a hope that there has to be something beyond. And that's why we get to the second point. Not only should we hope, not only can we have audacious hope, but there's a, a, a reason for it. We see in the first Easter that Mary has this stunning, amazing, beautiful faith. And she's at that tomb early Easter morning. And when she gets there early in the morning, she's startled because Jesus isn't there. The, the rock that contains the tomb has been rolled and the angel is sitting there. This angel is announcing the best news possible. This is what the angel says in Matthew 28, 5-6. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he has said. Come see the place where he lay. The angels say, come see the place where Jesus was. In other words, the angel is inviting us in. He's saying, examine the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. You know, the historian N.T. Wright wrote a book on the resurrection of Jesus and explores the, the culture and beliefs of the people in the first century. And he says, by and large, people in the first century didn't believe in the resurrection. Some people believed in the afterlife, but nobody believed your body could resurrect. If Jesus' disciples made up the story of Jesus resurrecting in the first century, and they told people that, they'd be laughed out of the room. Nobody would believe that. In fact, even Jesus' disciples, when they hear Jesus' resurrection, a lot of them doubted. They could not believe unless they literally, physically saw Jesus rise from the grave. There's no way the disciples could have made this up. And even if they made it up, why would they die? All of the disciples, these early disciples, died for their belief. Why would they die for a lie that they had made up? Historians, even secular historians, tell us something monumental happened in the first century. It charged, it changed these ragtag group of disciples who were fearful, they were running for their lives, and something happened which gave them such courage and joy and power that they were willing to die for their faith. And this message spread all throughout the world. The Christian hope isn't pie in the sky. It's not based on merely wishfulness, but it's grounded in history. It's grounded in the eyewitness testimony of hundreds of people. And this news has gone out to the world. That's why Jesus says in the very final thing, Final chapter, we just read it. He says, go out to all the nations. Do you know right now, in almost every nation, all the different corners of the earth, people are testifying. There are over 3 billion believers who testified to the power of Jesus' resurrection. The resurrection isn't, is historical. It's rooted in history and facts, in experiences. The angels say, well, examine the evidence. But this is, here's the second thing that the angels tell Mary. He says, go and tell the disciples. Tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee. You have to tell the person, tell the disciples to meet Jesus. So finally, the disciples, 
they come to meet the resurrected Jesus. And what's, what's interesting to me is when Jesus first meets his disciples, he greets them in a very ordinary, matter-of-fact way. This is what he says in verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came and they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. The disciples, uh, Jesus tells them just in an ordinary way, like it's any other day. He tells them hello. But their reaction is extraordinary. It says they fall at his feet. They worship him. You know, all throughout Matthew, the disciples never worship Jesus. But here they fall at Jesus' feet. They are astonished. And they worship him. What is, what is it about the resurrection that gives them so much joy, that, that astonished them? What is the good news of the resurrection? This is what John Stott says. Everyone lives and then dies. Jesus was the only one who ever died and then lived. The resurrection means that God has reversed the order of everything. Jesus has, in what John Owen says, Jesus has killed death. There's the death of death in Jesus' resurrection. Death is no longer the end of the story. It's no longer our executioner. Jesus t turned death from being an executioner into an Uber driver. It's just taking us to the next realm. It's no longer something to be feared. It's our driver into another world. Death is no longer our ultimate threat. The hope of the resurrection is that one day, just as Jesus' body was raised from the grave, if we have faith in Jesus, one day our bodies will, like Jesus, be raised from the grave. Think about Jesus' physical body. Uh, people recognize Jesus. Jesus, throughout the gospel accounts, he ate with his disciples. He had a physical body. They saw his scars. Yet his body was renewed. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, the resurrection body will be more glorious and powerful than the bodies we have now. That we are not only going to come back, but our bodies will be renewed, more glorious. Sometimes we use the phrase that uh, someone is a shell of the person they once were. You know, I had a friend in, um, I was at his house, and I've known him since high school. And I was at his house, and we were kind of reliving the glory days of our youth, and all the memories of college. And I had a picture with me that I showed him, and it was a picture of him, and I mean, he looked way different back then. He was very, he was chiseled, he was in shape, he looked good. And I showed it to his wife, and his wife said to me, Dennis, don't show me that. That's just gonna, that's gonna just depress me. And what she was saying is that he is, her husband was a shell of once, what he once was, a shadow of what he once was. You know, if you don't have the resurrection, we're always gonna be kind of looking back at the past. Man, things were so good back then. And we're gonna be chasing the past. We're going to be chasing what we once were. But here's the good news of the resurrection. The good news of the resurrection is right now we are a shell of who we will be in the future. Who we will be in the future. We will have a renewed body. In this body, we will no longer be sick. We'll no longer have, there will be no longer any cancer or coronavirus. 
We won't need to self-isolate. There will be no need for a hospital. There will be no diseases. I love what Isaiah says in his prophecy. He says, when we have these renewed bodies, we, we will be able to run and not grow weary. We're going to be able to run a marathon for breakfast and not break a sweat. That in our renewed bodies, we are going to have endless youthful energy. That's what we have to look forward to. Instead of chasing the past, the resurrection means we are forward-looking people. We no longer have to look back. We, have, we look forward to your future glory that awaits us. The hope of the resurrection is not just that death is no longer the enemy. It's, no, it's not just that we're going to have these new bodies, but ultimately we're going to have this renewed relationship with God. If you've been following with us throughout the series, we talk about the failure of the disciples. Man, they, they failed Jesus. Uh, Peter, uh, the leader of the disciples, he did not even know when Jesus cursed him, cursed the, his name. And you would think that after Jesus' resurrection, he'd be angry at his disciples. I would be. Feeling him, leaving him, hanging, denying him. But when Jesus foresees his disciples, there's none of that. He tells Mary, Mary, go and tell my disciples I want to see them. He says in verse 10 this, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Jesus calls his disciples my brothers. And he says, I, I want to personally see them. I personally want to see them. The resurrection means that not only did God defeat death, but he has also wiped out all of our sin. All of our failures. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for our past, present, and future sins. Death was uh, the penalty for our sin. So when Jesus resurrected from the grave, what that means is that that penalty has been paid in full. The debt is wiped out. Now God no longer has anger toward us, but only love. Only love toward us. The curse is over. The resurrection means that now nothing can separate us from God's love. Not death, not our sins, not things we do in the past, not things we will do in the future. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that is the good news of the resurrection. The resurrection is the greatest thing about the resurrection. The hope of it is that one day we'll be with him forgiven and free. You know, heaven first is not a place, it's the presence of God. It's in a person. And we're going to be with Him, ultimately. You know, there's always a sense in life in which we feel alone. Have you ever felt alone? I feel like my whole life, if I'm being honest, I felt alone. I'm trying to get through this thing by myself. I just got me. You know, throughout this uh, epidemic, we've been experiencing feeling alone, haven't we? We've been self-isolating. I used this quote a couple weeks ago that someone said, life is one long bad date with yourself. And, and it's, it's a dreadful time. Even before the lockdown, people had felt isolated. They felt lonely and disconnected. And all of us long for a connection, a deep, profound connection. But here's the hope of the resurrection. The resurrection is the idea that one day... We're finally going to be home. One day, the father that we've been estranged from, we're going to meet him. And he's going to love on us and receive us. 
That's the hope of the resurrection. One day we're never going to doubt the love of God again. We're going to finally no longer be wandering. We'll finally be in His embrace, in His presence, forgiven and free. And God welcomes you to experience that even now. Well, I want to uh, end with this idea of the resurrection and the hope that we have. I want to look at now how do we live out of this hope? A resurrection is future, but it has profound implications for us now. When you think about the disciples, you might have thought that the disciples, Jesus would have told the disciples um, just to wait. He might have told them, you might have thought Jesus would tell the disciples, you know, I'm going away, I'm going to send to heaven, just wait for me to come back. And some of us as Christians, we simply think that life now is just about waiting for Jesus to come back. But that's not what Jesus tells his disciples to do. He doesn't tell them to wait. He tells them to go. This is what he says in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. Jesus commissions them to go to all the nations. He says, take the good news. Take it to the whole world. Not just to this area. All throughout. I'm calling a multi-generational and international community of people together. To cross cultures and boundaries. Every race. Every tribe. Every tongue. They're going to call on my name. But he says, don't just preach the good news. But make disciples. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you to, to do. Uh, we are called to not just spread the good news, but teach people to live like Jesus. To walk like Jesus did. And how is that? How did Jesus live? Well, Jesus did two things. He preached the good news, but he also demonstrated it with his life. Jesus uh, did preach about the kingdom and what he's come to do and who he is. But he also healed the sick. He also gave sight to the blind. He also healed those who are broken. And you might say, well, I, I can't do that. I can't do these supernatural miracles. But here's the key to Jesus' miracles. The miracles of Jesus were simply signposts of the kingdom. There are glimpses of people's past who they originally were intended to be. And there are snapshots of the future. When Jesus heals someone who is blind, he's telling them, hey, this is not how I created you to be. I created you to have sight and to flourish. But I'm also giving you a flash of your future. In the kingdom to come, you are going to have sight. All things are going to be made new. He's giving them a glimpse of the future. Therefore, to be a disciple of Jesus and to do kingdom work means that we give people a glimpse of the future. Of the kingdom to come. We're called not to do supernatural things per se, but we're, help, we're, we're called to help the world get back to what it originally was and what it will be. So when you care for people who are sick, you're pointing them to God's original intention for them, but you're also giving them a glimpse of their future selves. Think about that. When we seek racial justice, or we seek to alleviate poverty. We're showing people, you know, in the world to come, a just king is going to rectify all things. He's going to bring justice. And we're doing that now. That in this kingdom to come, there will be equality. 
There'll be justice. And we're called to work on that now. In the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, it says, Heaven comes down. And it says there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. A new heavens and a new earth. Sometimes we think about heaven just like we go up to heaven. In popular depictions of heaven on uh, movies and programs today, heaven is this crazy cloudy place. People wearing robes and playing harps. I never understood that. That was never appealing to me. I don't uh, enjoy harp music. I don't play the harp. That doesn't sound lovely to me. Uh, and really, those are just metaphors. The whole idea of heaven is not that it's going to come up and it's going to be this cloudy place, but heaven comes down and there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. You know, there's new heavens and a new earth. I believe Los Angeles is still going to exist. You know, but it'd be a Los Angeles without poverty, without pollution, without traffic, without crime. It's going to be a Los Angeles filled with music and beauty and community and unity and the glory of God. Man, God's going to be right in the middle of this city. And that's the hope that we have. And if that's true, then the things we do now in this city, it's going to resonate for eternity. Martin Luther famously was asked, what would you do right now, today, if you knew Jesus come back tomorrow? And he said, I plant an apple tree. I plant an apple tree. And what he meant by that is that that apple tree is going to go on for all eternity. It's going to bear fruit. And that's why we labor now. Living out of hope means we seek justice, practice mercy and hospitality. We create art. We give people with our life a preview of the coming kingdom. At a former congregant, I'll close with these two stories. I, I was at a former congregant telling me this story this last week. Her husband is a healthcare worker. He's wearing his scrubs after a long day of work. And he was at Costco. He's about ready to pay for all of his things that was picking up for the house and the cash register. Cashier said, hey, it's been paid for. This woman over there, she paid for your whole bill. And then he, he went outside looking for her. She, she was gone. And she was saying that, you know, when all these people are racist toward Asian Americans, this was a grace note. She felt so grateful that, of, of this, this love in the midst of a place of hostility. And, you know, actions like that, they are a picture of the kingdom. And what it means to live with hope means that our life and actions of generosity and sacrifice that we are to give people a signpost, a preview of the world to come in our art, in our music, in the way we treat each other, the love that we share, give people a glimpse of that. Finally, uh, just a picture of what is to come and how we should react to it. This last year I watched this, uh, the blockbuster movie, Avengers Endgame with my kids. And we watched it, uh, it's the ending of a massive series. Uh, in the film, Thanos wipes out half, half the universe. Half the universe. But in the final scene, all those who have lost return. And there's this epic 45 minute battle scene in which evil is finally defeated. And this week I was watching all these fan reactions. People were reminiscing about that. 
And in these final fan reactions, man, people went crazy on that last scene. They're laughing, they're screaming. They were deliriously happy. Why? Man, it was the fulfillment of all their desires. The lost are brought back. Evil is finally epically defeated. Does that sound familiar to you? You know, all of these stories, they borrow from this final story of the gospel. All those lost in Christ, man, we are going to be reunited with them. That evil will finally be defeated. There will be an epic victory to end all victories. You know, the Christian hope is epic because it combines our greatest desires with history. It combines everything we want with everything that is true. And, you know, if people are going crazy over a fictional movie, how crazy should you go over something historical, something that really will happen? How should you react and respond to that? As we close, then just a few applications. Uh, if you're not a believer in this sermon, piqued your interest, I'm leading an eight-week series on the person of Jesus. It's called the Alpha Course. I hope pray that you can join me. I'm leading it from wherever you are online. You can sign up at our website. And Christian people, uh, I call you to, especially in these dark times, live out of that hope. Live out of the hope of your gospel. Let your life be a signpost of the kingdom. This dark time is no match for the resurrection. The resurrection teaches us that God can take our worst things and turn it into our best things. And at the final day, we will be rejoicing over the things we wept over. And would that give you encouragement this morning? Please pray with me. Father, we give you thanks for you are our King. We th give you thanks for the resurrection of Jesus over defeating death and sin. We pray, God, that we would now live as your Easter people. We pray that we would live with the hope, with the joy, with the expectation of all that you will do for us when Jesus returns. Help us to live with that kind of power and hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.